0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Adhering Apologetics. I'm so pumped you're joining us today. to have Dr. Thomas Ward. As always, this podcast is brought to you guys at patreon.com slash Apologetics. So if you value what we do, please consider supporting there. But today I have Dr. Thomas M. Ward. He's a professor of philosophy at Baylor University. And today we're going to talk about is it moral to hate God? So Tom, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today?
1: Doing good, Zach. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited for today because I've been trying to like accumulate notes um, from like podcasts I've done and like books I've read and stuff. And right before I was like trying to get into like my notes to see if I had anything that I had like written about this and I have nothing. So I'm like, this is just a brand new topic for me, something I haven't really thought about. Um, And yeah, I'm super excited just for that. So I'm excited, Tom. So yeah,
1: it's it's a good topic and it opens up into to other other areas. And so if it if it sounds to your audience like kind of a stupid question to ask, is it it okay to hate God or can it be okay to hate God? Um, You know, just be patient. I think think we'll see the point by the end. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So to get things
0: started, Tom, do you want to talk a little bit about like who you are, what you do, things like that?
1: Yeah. So um, as you mentioned, I teach here at Baylor University. Uh, We're suffering through the Waco heat right now. Um, I've been here for six years. And what I, what I do here in the philosophy department primarily is teach history of philosophy, and in particular, history of medieval philosophy. So um, the most famous medieval philosophers, Aquinas and Anselm, uh, but also, you know, perhaps not household names like John Duns Scotus, and William of Ockham. Um, so that's kind of my main teaching area is also, and, and also my main research area. Um, And then from within that kind of medieval, uh, broad medieval worldview or context, I've done a lot of work in philosophy of religion, philosophical theology, trying to incorporate some of those older insights into our own contemporary thinking.
0: Hmm. So you have that kind of like project where you're working on a lot of these like medieval philosophers. Uh, It seems like this like paper, it seems like it's, it's a little bit of a different route. I mean, still within philosophy and religion and all this stuff, but what kind of got you interested in like writing about this topic of like the morality of hating God?
1: Yeah. So I, I became really, uh, interested in the question of, uh, whether or not we need God to be moral or, Mm. Or if God has something to do with morality, and as a Christian, of course, I think He has a whole lot to do with morality. Um, what exactly does He have to do with morality? Is it that there couldn't be any um, moral norms uh, without God, or uh, or without God's commanding or legislating? Or might there be something like a natural law that just obtains in virtue of the kind of thing that we human beings are such that you know being created by God of course God would have something to do with that insofar as he's created us but he doesn't need to do any extra like commanding work in order to get morality so I was just really interested in that basic theistic ethics question of sort of natural law versus divine command theories. So that was the sort of general context. And then, um, and you're right that that, that's not a purely historical question, but the way that I kind of think through issues usually is through the history. And so I was was following these debates in the late 13th, early 14th century um, about whether God could change the moral law. And I thought that by studying that question that people like Dunn Scotus and William of Ockham wrote on that I might get some insight into the bigger question that I was pursuing. So both Scotus and Ockham think that to some extent, and maybe we can get into the details later, but to some extent God can change the moral law or can suspend the moral law to give give us a dispensation from it if he were to choose to. Okay, so that's maybe kind of a startling Thing to hear at least at first glance. So then, the extreme case of that uh, possibility of a dispensation or a change to the to the law would be the, whether uh, uh, whether God could command us to hate Him, right? And that's just mm-hmm. it's like who would ask that question? But yeah. in fact, William of Ockham asked that very question: Could God command us to hate Him? And he said, yes, uh, because he thought that God is omnipotent. He can do anything logically possible. It's logically possible to command someone to hate God. Therefore, God can do it. Mm -hmm. And it's a simple argument. The premises are plausible. Um, But that that conclusion (laughs) that God could do that was so repulsive to me that I wanted to sit down and see if I could come up with basically a response to Occam's argument. And so the you're right to say that the that the paper we're discussing um which came out I think was it last year in Philosophia Christi I believe so. Um yeah, it's not it's not an explicitly historical paper but it does, you know, take up Occam's question, could god command us to hate him and and I say no definitely not
0: yeah. yeah so kind of almost like going against the tradition of some of these of like someone like Occam who thought like God could command someone to like hate God uh, yeah. which is an interesting idea to say the least
1: yeah and and if and it it does sound kind of startling you know even if you ultimately you agree with Ockham, Um there is I think for anyone no matter what position you take in the end like that it should sound a little startling that God could command us to hate him. But um the way that you would become sympathetic to that Occam, Occamist view is if is by reflecting on divine power. You know, if God is omnipotent, if he's sovereign over creation, if there's nothing about the created order that constrains God in any way, well then it it does start to sound plausible that maybe god could do could command us to do things that are bad for us could command us to do things that we can't help but think of as wrong independent of god's commanding them now i i reject that whole way of thinking about god and morality but i just want to make it like i want to make i want it to sound as plausible as possible at least mm-hmm. for someone who already has a theistic Religious commitments about God's being all powerful and sovereign, and so on.
0: Hmm. Let me ask you this, because it might be helpful at this point. What would it mean to like hate God? If we were to say so, like a person like hates God, like what does that what does that actually mean?
1: Yeah, good. Um, so, uh, I mean, we could think about it like uh, in terms of an emotion. You know, like uh, we're all we're all familiar. Sadly, with um, like feelings of hatred, whether mm-hmm. it's for, uh, you know, in an ideology or a person or whatever, we, we kind of know how that feels. And so you might think that uh, an act of hating God would be something like consensually indulging in that sort of affective hatred okay. um, to sort of like shake your fist at God. Uh, or Job's friends who counseled him, you know, just curse God and die. Um, hmm. That kind of uh, uh, affective response would be a sort of hatred. Another way of, of hating God, I suppose, would be to um, like try to um, uh, conduct some sort of campaign against God. So suppose you thought that um, what God wanted was for people across the world to come to know Jesus um, uh, and you and you knew and you knew that and you could you could try to systematically deceive people you could you could spread you know spread false rumors or false uh, news that Jesus was a mythological person invented by the Roman Catholic Church or whatever you know some crazy story mm-hmm. and try to keep people from coming to faith in Christ um you insofar as you're like setting yourself up to operate against god i think that would be a kind of hatred of god think about the way that you know um if if there are demons and if there are demons who are like the uh like james's epistle in the new testament tells us prowling around the world uh seeking the ruin of souls um well, you might say, well, they, they hate God. They know all. The, they know the truths about God. They probably know, to some level, how the gospel works, um, and they're trying to keep people from accepting the gospel and and keep people from being transformed by God's grace. So you say that the demons hate God, and one one way they carry out their hatred is in that way. So those are two mm-hmm. two basic ways we might think of as hating God. You could also be um indifferent toward God and that's something another sort of related question I take up in the paper is uh whether it could ever be okay to be completely indifferent about God and and that I think what it would be like you know to act in such a way that expresses indifference would would simply be to not factor God into one's life in any way you know so you might not hate God you just really don't care about God and uh Uh, And so it has nothing to do with how you live your life.
0: Okay. Yeah, this is helpful for me because like when we're thinking about the question of like why like like God commanding someone to hate him, it's like, well, what is God actually commanding? And like you kind of brought up these ideas like, well, maybe God's commanding their emotions um, to be like indulging in hatred against God or God's like commanding them to like to like have a campaign against God. Um, like where God's God's like, hey Tom, like I want you to just like start picketing at um against all these causes that I value. Like that's yeah. that, that's an interesting idea to think that God might do that.
1: So. yeah. Yeah, it's it seems counterproductive on God's part. Um doesn't sound very prudent on God's part, but the um where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, on the, the philosophical issue at stake here, yeah, is whether God could do it and mm-hmm. uh, and whether in doing so he would by the very fact of his doing so be right to do so okay. so, so it, like if you so we have these you, 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 you put it really well if we try to imagine um, God commanding us to pick it against him we can immediately recognize the imprudence um, of that you know, we, we like have some values about what, um, good action consists in and good action does not involve things like intentionally acting so as to thwart your own ends, right? That's foolish. Okay. So now we have these standards that we appeal to in evaluating different courses of action, including, uh, Hypothetical actions of God's, like commanding us to hate him. Now, what the like extreme Occam Occamist or follower of Occam would say here is that ultimately God Himself is responsible for whatever values or whatever norms there are, such that mm. simply by willing something to be good. God makes it good. By willing something to be bad, God makes it bad. So if God were to uh, command us to hate him, we might think, well, that's a bad thing to do because it's foolish or imprudent. But what the alchemist would say is that God himself is the ultimate arbiter of goodness and so whatever he does is good. So we can't mm-hmm. actually independently assess God's actions. You know, all we have as the standard of uh, right and wrong, good and bad, is what God does, what God has commanded, and so on. And so if God is doing it, it must be good. Hmm. That's, how the, that's how the alchemist would sort of approach that question that you raise of like God apparently doing something that would be like counterproductive.
0: Mm-hmm. So like thinking from like an optimist and an optimist point of view here, where it's not like, it's almost like we're in the dark. I don't know what I'm saying about like what's right and wrong from like our own moral intuitions, but we're really just like kind of looking to God to see like, well, what is good and what is not good? Cause God can only do the good. And we look to God to see what is good. Like in an optimist view, maybe a question like say, uh, is it moral to steal from elderly elderly people? Uh, the optimist will say, like, hey, like maybe we have some intuitions, but we're really in the dark unless we actually like see God. And if God steals from elderly people, then it's okay. Or if God says not to do it, then it's not okay. And that's kind of like that point. Is that the kind of the point of point of view here you're bringing forth?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's good. So um people in this camp, whether it's Occam or someone else, you know, contemporary person. Um, if God were to issue a command to steal, or if God were to somehow make it clear that stealing is not wrong, so if you want to, you can do it. Um, simply by God saying that, it would be so. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, so us, we human beings, being in the dark is a good way to describe the situation, like independent of. Some sort of revelation of God, um, we might come to, we might form opinions about morality, but we wouldn't know what the moral facts really are unless we knew what God thought they are.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, this is helpful. Yeah. So, what I'd like to do now, Tom, is kind of look at like some of these arguments you bring forward in the paper, um, talking about like the question of like, can God command someone to hate him? Uh, and one of the arguments you talk about is like from the nature of obedience. So maybe do you want to just kind of give like an overview of like, what is this argument? What is it trying to show? Yeah. Just kind of paint the picture for us.
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, earlier I I kind of gave a sketch of the sort of argument that, um, someone sympathetic with Occam would give for the view that God could command us to hate him. And that focuses on what seems to be logically possible. So again, you start with this conception of God as being omnipotent and a conception of God that I personally share. Um, Then from God's omnipotence, you would consider whether uh, the action of commanding someone to hate god is a possible action you know logically or metaphysically possible thing to do and it surely seems possible to do that i mean at least at first glance uh, you know i you know zach hate god <laughs> it just seems like i've i've uh, at least grammatically you know i've issued a command to you Mm -hmm. to hate God. Now it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't obligate you because I don't have the authority to command you in that way. But if God, if God is the ultimate authority, and if that command is logically possible, and if God is omnipotent, then it seems like he should be able to do it. So then in the paper, the main argument that I develop focuses on that question of logical possibility. And what I, what I want to say is that, Even if at first glance, it seems like it's logically possible uh, for God to command us to hate him. It's actually not. And the reason it's not is because um, in order for God to command us to hate him, he would have to have something like an intention in, in mind, right? It would be like in commanding us. God intends us to obey the command or to attempt to obey the command. If God had no intention like that at all, uh, I don't think that we could call any action of God's truly a command to us to hate him. So there's something about the nature of commanding itself that implies um, an intention on the commander's part for the person commanded to obey the command. Mm -hmm. So now God would have to form that intention. Okay, so now think about what obedience to such a command would be like. Um, it, It isn't sufficient for some action to be an act of obedience that the person who's been commanded performs the action that has been commanded. Because Mm -hmm. you might perform the action anyway, independent of having been commanded. It might be purely accidental to having been commanded that you perform that action. Um, uh, So for for an act to be obedience, it has to be something like, I'm doing this action because you, commander, have commanded me to do it. And uh, and so now look at this case about God's hypothetical command to us to hate him. Suppose we somehow hear you know, a voice in our heads or, uh, uh, you know, flipping through our Bibles and we see a verse that we had we hadn't come across before. Uh, ha- hate us. Uh, uh, God tells us to hate him. So we're like, OK, um, in order for me to obey this command, I would have to like not just express hatred of God, but I would have to do it because God has commanded me to do it. Mm -hmm. And what I argue in the paper is that we couldn't actually hate God because God has commanded us to hate him. Um, It would be like, you know, I mean, suppose God commands us and then we're like really offended, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and so we might, we might end up hating God as a result of his command, but Mm -hmm. it would be like, uh, uh, well, well, but I, I don't think that that would really be obedience, you know, in the, in the paper, I talk about like, you know, if someone were to, um, slap you in the face, uh, and you, you know, you just like feel this hatred well up in you like that God's command for you to hate him might do something like that to you where you would have this hatred response but that wouldn't be sufficient for obedience you would have to recognize that God is the authority that God ought to be obeyed and so your act of obedience would have to be like somehow for those reasons or with those reasons in mind and if God were to command you to hate him psychologically it would no longer be possible for you to regard god as an authority worth obeying so it mm-hmm. wouldn't actually be possible for you to obey him um now so big picture and we, we can focus on that a little more um if we should go into more detail there but getting back to the big picture then so for god to command god would have to intend us to obey the command But if it is impossible for God, uh, excuse me, if it's impossible for us to obey the command, then God could not intend it. Because God being omniscient would know that obedience to such a command is not possible. And God could not want the impossible or God could not intend the impossible. Mm Because we can we can intend the impossible because we're ignorant about a lot of what is possible or not possible. But if we know that something is impossible, we can't actually intend to do it. We might still be able to like want to do it, but we can't intend to do it. And I think the same thing holds for God. If God recognizes that something really is logically impossible, God can't intend to do it like because. God would be thwarted, you know, say, say here's the classic example of something that's impossible, a square circle. Not even God could make a square circle. And that implies no limitation on God's part. But the, that's just due to the fact that uh, being a square and being a circle are not properties that something can have at the same time in the same way, It's, 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 it's a brute impossibility. So not even God can do it. If God can't do it, um, God knows that he can't do it. If God knows that he can't do it, he can't intend to do it for God to intend to do something that he knows he can't do would be for God to, uh, so to speak, set himself up to be frustrated, which is not a, um, Plausible thing to say about an omnipotent sovereign God. So okay. if obedience is, if obedience to a command to hate God is kind of like a square circle, it's not the sort of thing that God can intend. And if it's not the sort of thing that God can intend, then it's not the sort of thing that God can command. And so I, I conclude that, uh, it's uh, not possible for God to command us to hate him.
0: Okay. So this is helpful, Tom. Um, I want to make sure I'm just like tracking with you here. So this idea of like what's possible here and like, is the impossible thing here that God can't command that like a person just can't hate God? Like what's, what's the impossible thing here that God can't command?
1: It's the um, it's, it's commanding, it's, it's commanding someone to hate God. Mm-hmm. God can't do that. God can't issue such a command god God recognizes, of course that it's possible for someone to hate God. Mm-hmm. but uh it's not possible for someone to hate God as an act of obedience. okay to a command to hate God. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's yeah. impossible because God has like, when he gives us a command, like say, do this or do that. There's an obligation um, for us. And he has an intention for us to actually obey that command. Um, and God, like then he can't command impossible things. Like he can't command us to hate him. If like, he's actually, cause when he says it, he means it, but that's impossible for him to say to like, to hate himself.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So, that's super helpful tom because i think it just helps us understand that like god wouldn't command you to do something that's like uh, like there's the question of like you, you hear things like oh like well what if god commanded you to like slay your firstborn like abraham did or something like this and it seems like to me like from this like we're saying like god's not going to come like if he gives a command there's intention for us to obey it and he's not going to command something that's like morally like wrong or something like that
1: yeah I, yeah, I think that's basically right. Um, and that's kind of what the, uh, the exercise of thinking through whether God can command us to hate him is supposed to bring out. Because um, you know, again, if you start with this big emphasis on God's power and God's freedom, then uh, it can look like God could, could end up commanding us to do anything, even stuff that we all believe to be horrible. Um mm-hmm. but if you if you kind of slow down and think, well, what really is possible uh, for God? maybe something that seems possible on the surface upon further reflection wouldn't really be possible. And so with the kinds of questions, the kind of um, examples that you have in mind, you know, um, here are a couple thoughts. I mean one is that the command, to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, you know, that's in the Bible. So we, we can't say God would never do that (laughs) because, because scripture reports God having done that. But, but we have, but we, we, we have some interpretive, excuse me, we have some interpretive work to do to understand, you know, what is God up to there? And Mm -hmm. someone who um, has this sort of, what I am calling an extreme view um, that Occam has, they might say, aha, this is an example uh, that just goes to show that God is totally free to command anything at all, even the things that we would all recognize to be heinous. But But then you might think, well, is there some other way to understand the story? And, you know, one thing that we know is that um, it does seem to be a sort of test to Abraham. Um, God does seem to have arranged things so that um, Isaac would not, in fact, be killed. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And that there's also this uh, symbolic or typological significance um, of the story. You know, as as Christians anyway, you know, I I tend to think that Christians are at liberty to interpret the Old Testament, at least partly in light of the New Testament or in light Mm -hmm. of the gospel. And so here we see God Himself will provide the sacrifice, God Himself will provide the ram. You know, Abraham, in fact, you don't need to kill your son, Um, I will do it. So I think that there are other ways that we can interpret a story like that, Um, but then thinking maybe a little more generally, aside from these cases in Scripture where it looks like God permits or commands people to do bad things, um, just thinking more generally, not necessarily tied to Scripture, like um, you know, could God just like we we all know murder is wrong? Could God just flip the moral scales and say okay now murder is right go for it mm-hmm. uh, make sure you kill one person a day and if you don't then you're <laughs> you're not a morally upright person
0: mm-hmm. could
1: god do that do we have any reason to think that god could do it and i i tend to think that no um, god couldn't do that and here's roughly why and he, re, in relation to the the sort of way that I argued in the paper that we're talking about. It's true that God is omnipotent; that God is uh, is free. Um, so that God, in insofar as God is free, God can do, let's say, um, whatever uh, he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And insofar as God is omnipotent, whatever God wants to do. He'll be successful at doing. Mm-hmm. But then there are other things that we typically want to say about God that God is love, that God is good. In, in, in fact, in the sort of classical theistic tradition that I occupy, um, I'm comfortable saying things like God is goodness itself or the good. And from there, I think that we can really get a lot of mileage for thinking through like what God's, like the range of God's um, legislative freedom, we might say, like what God can actually command or set up is right and wrong. We know that it has to be some, we, it has to be only things that are, that are consistent with goodness and love, you know, or like promote um God likeness among the world. You know, God can't command us to do things that are contrary to God's own nature. So sometimes there might be individual commands, you know, like that are startling, like the Abraham and Isaac story. Um, But we ought to interpret those, or anything, any other hypothetical uh, command, we ought to interpret those in light of God's being, love itself, goodness itself. And so try to understand them as, albeit very surprising ways, but still actually ways to promote uh, goodness and love among human beings uh, in their relations with each other, their relationships with the, the, the wider world that they inhabit. And most importantly, of course, their relationship with God, um, so like the question of stealing, we think okay, stealing is wrong. Um, it doesn't seem to be the most, the worst thing that someone could do, um, but still wrong. And <laughs> we could understand that as like, well, one condition for stealing to be possible is for there to be um, an economic arrangement where there is such a thing as private property. Now, you might, you might think, depending on your view about that, you might think that private property is the kind of thing that um, uh, just obtains by nature. You know, Locke thought, John Locke, for example, thought that you get private property simply by um, interacting with your physical environment in a way. So like, if you start, I don't know, like picking the apples off the tree and trimming, trimming the tree to promote growth and... Uh, and no one else has done that yet, then you, you, you thereby become the owner of the apple tree. Um, or, or you might have a more, a more conventional understanding of what private property is. And so you might, you might think that, okay, look, um, in order to steal, there has to be private property. Maybe private property, the concept or the, the fact of private property isn't like written into the fabric of nature Maybe we could imagine um, uh, a human society in which there isn't private property. Maybe it's far too idealistic to actually try to implement Mm -hmm. a given sinful, sinful humanity in our current state. But maybe it's not out of reach for human beings, given the kinds of things we are, to have a social arrangement in which there's no such thing as private property. Well, if there wasn't any such thing as private property, then there couldn't be stealing. So w- would it be right to say that stealing was wrong? Well, no, I mean, it, it's not it's, it's not that stealing would be right. There just wouldn't be fact of the matter about stealing. Like there's no private property anymore. So we could imagine like if the if certain social facts were to change, you might think that there would be corresponding changes in the moral facts, and God would be responsible for those changes. And uh, But but the, the point is, whether you agree with that kind of very quick, off-the-cuff analysis of private property or not, that's kind of beside the point. The point is that if moral facts were to change, uh, we what we would uh, presume on God's part is that they are uh for the sake that the changes are for the sake of promoting good relationships between people and between people and God, and not just like an arbitrary imposition of God's will, just so to speak for God to to flex and show us that he's in charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Yeah,
0: go ahead. Yeah, I'm just thinking because like you're coming from this, like the classical theistic tradition, which I think is super helpful here where you're saying like, god just is the good um like there's something there where like god just is goodness god is love uh and that can help us when we're thinking about more questions like can god's commands change and you're kind of thinking like if they like if these commands were different or they're changed it's not because oh like maybe one day god thinks that like lying is morally important and the next day it's like yeah actually it's pretty cool i'm, I'm, I'm chill with it uh it's more like it's actually like if these commands change it's for the promotion of like these goods of like relationships or something along these lines
1: yeah yeah that's right
0: okay that's super helpful now i'd like to tom just kind of look at like a different argument you give about like maybe like why it's not more like why god wouldn't command someone to hate him uh and this is the idea of like a moral obligation to love god so i want to ask you tom like is there a necessary moral obligation that you and I and like every human has to love God? Um, and if that's the case or if that's not the case, how is that going to play into like hating God?
1: Yeah, good. So let me um, just briefly back up, start a little bit further away from that question. And so there's there's this view, I'm sure you're familiar with it, maybe some of your listeners aren't, um, in theistic ethics that's that's called divine command theory. And the the basic idea is kind of like what the name of it says that uh, morality or moral facts are determined wholly by um, God's commands. Okay. So now if there's a moral obligation, um, divine command theory says it's there because God has issued a command and that's what's generated the obligation. Right. So now, Uh, that sort of basic version of divine command theory is must be false uh, because it's incoherent. And here's why we know that it's incoherent. Um, Ask, you know, what is the source of our obligation to obey a divine command? Now there you can't say because God has commanded it, right? Because here, like the the very question at issue is, why do we have an obligation in the first place to obey God's commands? So, you know, no matter how many commands we get, like obey God's commands, obey God's commands to obey God's commands, obey God's commands to obey, and so on and so forth. We get this sort of infinite regress of meta commands, you know, and so it's it's either circular or generates an infinite regress, and so there must be something besides God's commands or in addition to God's commands that generates a moral obligation, even if it's just that one obligation to obey God's commands. There's got to be something outside of divine commanding. Mm -hmm. And contemporary divine command theorists all recognize that, you know, so the, the view is still defended today. Um, the most powerful, uh, you know, thorough version of the view um, is by the philosopher Robert M. Adams, and, and he, it's called. He calls it the modified divine command view. But anyway, so um, so in in the paper, I explore the uh, this question of you know what does the possibility of divine command a divine command about hating God. How does that turn out? If we suppose that we have some obligation, moral obligation that obtains just by the nature of things. and here's here's the 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 proposal. Now, if we suppose that God is the good, you might think that independent of anything that God commands, Just by his being, goodness itself, uh, what we ought to do is to follow whatever it tells us. Mm -hmm. And that just has to do with the nature of goodness, with the nature of human action. That what, um, what it is to act well or wisely or rationally is... To act so as to to pursue the good or to avoid the bad, so there can't be any uh, any better way of pursuing the good than to do whatever goodness itself tells you to do. okay? Mm. So then imagine a situation where just because of what God is, where we ought to follow what He says, okay. Uh, because God is goodness itself. Well, then. Um, uh, yeah, th- th- what that would do is secure our obligation to obey any of God's commands. So we have this one one obligation that comes just by the nature of God, independent of his commands. But because we have that one obligation, uh, then if God... C- issues commands were then obliged to try to obey those commands too. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then in the, in the paper, I might, I might be forgetting some of the details here, but I, so then we are left with the pos, this hypothetical. On the one hand, we have a, an obligation to uh, love God, To pursue God in our action. Yeah, to love that that's how it goes. Sorry. On the one hand, we have an obligation to love God that is due just to what God is. And on the other hand, in the hypothetical, we might have an obligation to hate God if God were to issue a command uh, for to us to hate him. So then what do we do on the if we have these conflicting moral obligations? I mean, God would know that if he commands us to hate him, supposing he could do it in the first place, uh, if God commands us to hate him, then we would have conflicting moral obligations. We would have an obligation to hate him coming from the command, an obligation to love him coming by just what God is. And God would know that we wouldn't be able to be successful in our moral life right to we would either continue to love God and so uh, fail to obey the command to hate him or we would hate him and fail to obey the command to love him Um, but also more importantly for the project of the paper you know you might think God would never do such a stupid thing but I'm what I'm trying to do is work out like what's what's the what's logically possible here And so in the paper, I try to go like a little bit deeper and say, well, aside from it's being stupid for God to do it, let's try to think what makes it impossible. And where I think the impossibility comes in is that God God would actually know that we are obligated just by the nature of things to love God. Um, that god couldn't some couldn't override that that obligation in any way even by a command to the contrary and so for god to issue a command to the contrary he would um, because commanding involves somehow like wanting or intending uh, the person commanded to obey on the one hand he would uh, know that we're obligated to love him by nature and because that is what goodness itself demands, God would want us to fulfill that obligation. But on the other hand, if God were to command, God would have to want us to hate him and so not fulfill that obligation. And that's where we get the contradiction. Uh, God, God would have to want that we do what is good by nature, given what God is, but God would have to not want that very same thing Given the command, God can't want logical contradictories mm-hmm. because they can't both be true. God can't want the impossible, and so on. And so then we 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 get the conclusion that we need that God can't, in fact, uh, on the supposition that we have a natural obligation to love God, God can't issue a command to hate God. So in in the in the paper, the way that I set this up is, you know, here are two arguments.
0: That we can't,
1: that God couldn't command us to hate him. One argument supposes that we have no obligations to love God independent of God's commands. And that's the argument we talked about first. You know, it's just reflecting on the nature of commanding, the nature of obedience yields the logical impossibility of God commanding us. Then the second argument, the one that we're talking about now, starts with the assumption that we really do have a, a natural moral obligation to love God and tries to generate the impossibility from that assumption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's okay, meant so- to be like, some people are gonna be sympathetic to that view that we're naturally obligated to love God. Other people aren't gonna be sympathetic to that view. And what I wanted was like two arguments to appeal to the broadest possible audience.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super helpful. And I think especially if you hear, adhere to like a classical, like theist, like a classical theist tradition here, this is like a really like interesting argument, because if we think about like, again, like God as the goodness, um, it makes sense that like we would have like some sort of obligation or, or just be common sense to follow the goodness. Like you wouldn't want to follow evil, you don't follow good. Um, and well, in the classical theist tradition, God just is the good. So if we should follow goodness, then we should follow God because he is goodness itself. Um, in that case, then like, I see very clearly, like there would be this obligation to love God. Um, if that's the case, like God isn't going to command us to do something that, that isn't good. That is like, kind of like evil because to love, to not love God in that tradition would be like to deny goodness, um, or something you could say along these lines. So to me, it seems very clear, Tom.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nicely said. Yeah. It's a good, good summary.
0: So what do you think of the question? Like, I mean, I think we're on the same page. Like God can't command like us to like hate him. Um what do you think about like a, maybe a more common idea of like God permitting people um maybe not even to say like to, to not like even like hate God, but just to like not love him. Um what do you think about this, Tom?
1: Yeah. Here I think I I think the what we want to say about God um the the natural moral obligation to love God really makes a difference. So um, su- suppose suppose we are, you know, just by what God is, God's being the good, that we have this natural moral obligation to love God, to, to pursue the good, and so on. Um, well then, it, in order for God to make it morally permissible to be indifferent toward God, God would have to have these contradictory wantings that we discussed earlier in the discussing the second argument that God can't command us to hate him. So the contradictory willings or wantings here would be, on the one hand, um, God wants us to fulfill the natural moral obligation to love God because that fact is just good by its very nature, right? It's just,, um, just by virtue of what God is, it, it it is the case that we ought to love God. And so God can't not, uh will that to be true. It would be like God, uh, willing things to be, other than they are when they can't actually be other than they are. And so God would be, so to speak, at odds with reality, which is just crazy. I mean, that's just contrary to what God is. So if it's it's the case that created persons like us are naturally obligated to love God, then that fact would be one of the facts that God, so to speak, embraces and wills and says like yeah that's good Um, just like he would say about his own nature you know I'm good God couldn't um, God couldn't want himself to be different you know he he couldn't want himself to be uh, really a bird instead of being God right that would be like God being dissatisfied with himself which is not possible for something that is perfection itself anyway. Mm -hmm. So God would have to want uh, to uphold, or he would sort of effectively embrace this fact that we um, are naturally obligated to love God. Okay. On the one hand, but then on the other hand, in our hypothetical, God would have to make it morally permissible not to care about God. Mm -hmm. But in order for God to be able to do that, he would have to intend or want, um, or at least be like okay with people not fulfilling their natural obligation to love God. So on the one hand, God would have to want people to love God due to their natural obligation to do so. And on the other hand, God, uh, on the other hand, it would not be the case that God wants that, right? If God were to issue a command, uh, uh, a permission to be indifferent to him. So then we get the con- the contradiction that we need in order to make, in order to argue that it's impossible for God to do so. Not just like unwise or silly, but impossible. God can't have these contradictory wantings. But now, if you had some skepticism that we really do have a natural obligation to love God, just due to what God is, then I actually think, yeah, probably God could. Because then, if we're supposing, if if we suppose that, like, Mm -hmm. no natural obligation to love God, then all God would have to do, so to speak, is just um, will will it to be okay for people not to love him? And I, I can't see anything that's logically impossible about that. I mean, here's, here's one way you might go. <clears throat> I mean, <clears throat> excuse me. You might think God would have to know that um, human beings could only be perfectly happy uh, by loving God, by having some sort of loving union with God. And maybe you might think God couldn't bring creatures like us into existence and not also will us to uh, to, to achieve our ultimate happiness maybe you could think that. And if, if you thought that, then if God really couldn't do that, then maybe he couldn't permit us to be indifferent toward him. Now I'm, I'm actually, I don't pursue that route in the paper because I myself don't think that we, that God has to command that for us. Like, I think it would be fine just thinking about God's freedom or God's power like if God created us knowing that we were capable of this ultimate happiness, you know, the beatific Mm -hmm. vision, you know, eternal union with God, we're capable of that. But instead God wills for us just to achieve this like pretty good life, (laughs) not our best life, but pretty good life. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, God, God could do that as far as that goes. Um, You know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a tragic, it wouldn't be cruel uh, for God to, you know, deign not to elevate us to the supreme level of glory that we're capable of. Um, nothing wrong there. So I don't think that, I don't think that we're going to get to the conclusion we'd want simply by reflecting on what God would have to will for us given the kinds of things that we are. So all, all that to say, If we don't have a natural obligation to love God, then I think, or at least I I don't see any logically compelling reason to deny that God could make it morally permissible for us to be indifferent toward him. So it's almost like, I guess I'm just a little
0: lost, and I don't think it's your far, I'm just But like, so when we're thinking like, can God permit us to not love him? We're thinking that, like, okay, God is the good. Um, in this class, like, so assume that God is the good, and like, this a classical theistic tradition, then like, we would have this obligation to pursue God. Um, and if that's the case, then like, it seems like it's kind of hard to see how God actually could permit you not to love him because, like, he's permitting you to do something that is like just like contrary to the good and could lead to like significant, like, evil and whatnot.
1: Yeah. So, the, I mean, and, in- if we leave fixed that um that view about god being the good and the fact that god is the good generating a moral obligation on us to love god mm-hmm. like if yeah. if we assume that then yeah i th- i think the conclusion follows like god not only could god not command us to hate him he couldn't even command us to be indifferent to him he would just mm-hmm. Uh, If he commanded at all, he would have to command in ways that are consistent with that obligation to love God. If he made anything morally permissible, he could only make morally permissible things that were consistent with our obligation to love God. So I think that's all right. So Mm -hmm. what I'm and and that's actually what I think that God's being the good is something that in itself generates this obligation on us to love it, to order our lives around it, independent of whatever additional, whatever commands God might go on to issue. Um, Mm -hmm. Of course, if he does, we're obligated to follow them because God is the good, but simply the fact that God is the good makes it obligatory for us to love him. Okay, so that's, that's actually my view. That's what I think. In the paper, I explore this Uh, possibility, you know, that I actually deny, Mm -hmm. the possibility that um, we don't actually have this natural obligation to love God. Yeah. So if you just put that to the side or denied that or ignored it, then could we generate an argument that concludes it's impossible for God to um, permit us to be indifferent toward him. And that's where, I, you know, at least in the paper and my current thinking about this, I don't see how we're going to conclude that it's impossible for God to um, permit us to be indifferent toward him if we don't assume that we have a natural obligation to love him. So you mm-hmm. might think that it's like, Maybe I didn't need to cover that ground, but i was I was interested because not every um, not every theistic philosopher is a classical theist, and so you know there are some some philosophers out there believe in God, but would think that it's weird to say that God is the good yeah or or you might have some people who would say, "Yeah, God is the good, but that fact alone. Is not sufficient to generate a moral obligation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so I wanted to see if possible, uh, for people who are in either of those camps, if I could still get the conclusion that God can't make it morally permissible for us to be indifferent toward him, you know, if if we don't assume those two things. And that's where I thought, no, we, we probably can't, but but what we but what we still can do is show that God couldn't command us to hate him and I think that's that's certainly a more important conclusion because uh, whether, whether God could make it possible permissible for us to be indifferent toward him um, like ultimately I think he can't but that doesn't sound quite as startling mm-hmm. as like this hypothetical that maybe God could command us to hate him and so that was really more of my main focus. Um, yeah. Yeah. Does that, yeah. anyway, does that, does that help? Yeah, that's very helpful. One kind of follow-up I have from
0: that is like, so if we're thinking like in your view, Tom, uh, God can't permit us not to love him because it'd be like permitting someone to not pursue the good. Uh, what? It, how does that make sense of like, maybe like non-belief throughout the world, like in like the real world, like practical sense, um, where there's people who maybe like don't believe in God or even like hate God. Uh, How does that view kind of interact with this?
1: Yeah, good. Um, I I think, I think that this is a very hard question. Um, Not just hard in a intellectual way, but hard in a, like a, a spiritual way. And and here's kind of what I mean. Um, you know, I think that for Christians, um, it is for for Christians in the the West, let's say uh, for Europe and North America mainly. It is tragic that uh, Christian belief is declining, or seems seems to be declining. It's tragic mm-hmm. that um the broader culture that we inhabit is uh less and less in touch with christian faith and practice that and that that, uh more and more christians in the west feel like truly aliens um in their in their own culture okay that decline i think is something to lament it doesn't, it's not something to despair about, but it is something to lament. And, um, and so that's the spiritual struggle. It's like, why has God allowed um, Christian faith to, to decline in, in the West? Now, Mm -hmm. there's a happier story to tell, I think, about the uh, spread of Christianity, uh, you know, of all sorts, uh, whether it's Roman Catholicism or uh pentecostalism or various forms of protestantism the rise of all of these churches in south america and especially in africa um, and to a certain extent parts of asia as well um so we could say well god is still on the move but anyway so that's the sort of spiritual side is like yeah why you might have thought that um like if you were just reading the new testament and you got to the end of the Gospels, and you got the Great Commission, and then you read on to Acts, and you had the the the, the pouring forth of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, uh, and then these highly successful early evangelistic efforts, and you sort of started tracking Christian history in its first few centuries, and you saw the way in which Christians had this sense of mission, and uh, somehow in a few hundred just a few hundred years converted the roman empire you know again not like making true disciples of every single person in the empire but you know christianity spread like wildfire why didn't that continue you might think that if god were really all he says to be in the bible that what we would expect is for the course of history to just be this like upward chart where the world Becomes more and more and more and more and more Christian until it's totally Christian, and then blah. Now, of course, there is lots of counter-evidence to that, even within Scripture, that Christians are going to be persecuted, that there's going to be dark stuff, blah 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 blah. Anyway, um, so this is like spiritual struggle of of unbelief. Like, why don't more people believe um, in God? Is it is there something wrong with our reasons? Are we stupider than uh, other people? What do they know that we don't know? So on and so forth. And I think that that is an issue that philosophers, Christian philosophers, should pay more attention to. And sometimes people talk about this, uh, a closely related problem, sometimes called the problem of divine hiddenness, Mm -hmm. um, which is like, uh, why doesn't, if God loves us, and if God exists, and loves us and wants to have a relationship to us, why doesn't he make his existence more manifest to people? And I, I'm not that moved by the problem of divine hiddenness, because I think that there's actually pretty good evidence that God really has made himself manifest. So the, um, uh, what, but but there's a closely related problem that really does, get to me, you know, intellectually and spiritually, which is uh, why, why don't more people believe? Um, okay. that I'll just lay that to the side, having said that. And mm-hmm. the yeah. other thing, the other thing I want to say is that if God is the good, then God is the source of goodness, of all goodness, the, the, the you know, the goodness that he himself is, but also the goodness of everything else. And so um, whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, if you are in touch with goodness, you are in some way in touch with God, you know, and you might not recognize uh, some goodness as having this participation in the goodness that God is. You might not recognize that, but the fact is you are in touch with some aspect of God's goodness, or you are in touch with some goodness that participates in God's goodness. And Mm -hmm. so I think that there's something like gracious and maybe even partially redemptive uh, for non-believers about um, just their ordinary uh, uh, participation in the created goodness that participates in god's goodness whether it's the goodness of human relationships you know especially um close healthy relationships like family relationships and friendships and so on or the goodness of nature um that there are these like yeah little graces that i think are bestowed in our encounter with creaturely goodness now ultimately our hope as christians is that this participation in finite goodness will lead everyone uh, to some sort of embrace, including a, an embrace through belief um, of God, of God himself, goodness itself. But um, yeah, I, I know that was a long answer, but you, you sort of mm-hmm. cracked open a, a yeah. little window into, into my soul uh, by asking that <laughs> question. So I'd I, I just went for it a little bit, but anyway, I appreciate you going for it. This is why you're on it's to share
0: what's going on. So you're, you're good. So, um, well, this has been really fun, Tom, and I've enjoyed this a lot. Uh, Do you have any like last thoughts or things you want to say, uh, before we start to wrap up here?
1: Yeah. I mean, first, uh, you know, thanks for having me on and I I think you're doing really good work. So keep it up and, uh, uh, for those who are who are listening, support zach um, keep keep listening, keep showing your love and support and then also you know the um I just want to kind of repeat uh really quickly mm-hmm, you know the right. question of whether or not we can hate God um, might sound like the sort of thing that you would only you 'd only think hard about that if um if you have too much time on your hands to think like it might seem too academic or too abstract, but it really does get us in touch with like these, these more important issues of uh, like the life of the practical life of faith. And, and mm-hmm. it's this, that, you know, God, um, we could think of God like primarily as a commander or lawgiver. And if that, if that's like your main concept for God, then it could sort of seem like there isn't this close relationship between your moral obligations and what's really good for you. Um, But if you think of God instead as the good itself, then any kinds of commands or laws that goodness itself gives, we can sort of embrace or trust as conducive to what is really good for us. And I think that's a really healthy way to think about the relationship between um, our relationship with God on the one hand and our relationship to morality on the other hand. Uh, You know, to be moral is really important, but it's like it's important in a way that's both like promoting justice in the world, but also it's good for us and it can be kind of comforting because the demands of morality are often very difficult and involve sacrifice. They can seem like they are at odds with us pursuing what we really want, but what uh, reflection on God is the good. And as a perfect lawgiver uh, promotes in our own sort of thinking and feeling and praying is that uh, the demands of morality, even when they're very, very hard to fulfill, are ultimately ordered to our own good and the good of those around us. And that should be a comforting thought.
0: And that's something I took away from this as well. Is just like, you know, there's the question of like, why, why follow God? Like, do we need God? And if we think about God, like as the goodness, like he is good, he is goodness itself. Like just thinking like when you follow God, you're becoming, you're following the good. Um, And if you're not following God, you're not following the good. Like, I think that's a very like practical like implication from like examining this question. So Tom, thank you so much for bringing this up. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a fun conversation. I appreciate uh, everything you're doing and I hope to do this again in the future. Um, As we wrap up, Tom, how can people like one, follow you, connect with you, things like that. And then two, like what projects are you working on in the future?
1: Well, thanks. I I have a website, um, thomasmward.com where uh, you could read about some of the other things I've written and, What I'm thinking about. Um, I also want to give a little plug to a book I recently published. It's called um, Ordered by Love. And it's an introduction to a a medieval philosopher that um, has been really inspiring to me over the years. Um, His name is John Duns Scotus. And I mentioned him earlier once or twice, but I wrote this introduction that's like just meant for anyone, you know, whether or not you've taken philosophy classes in the past or not, you know, I just try to like lay out his philosophy. And he's one of these thinkers that sees God as goodness itself, and then tries to like think through what, what that means for morality and for the world. Um, So if you're interested in any of the stuff that we've talked about today, I think that uh, Ordered by Love would be a book that you'd be interested in.
0: Mm. Well, Tom, thank you so much for coming on. I'll leave some links down below where people can follow you, connect with you, things like that. Uh, and yeah, that's that. If you guys value what we do, thank you for listening. Uh, be sure to like, subscribe, all that fun stuff. And if you want to support and hear in our projects, you can do that at patreon.com, slash as in our projects. Uh, we said it's here super low, so you can support for as little as just a dollar a month, and that'd be huge. Uh, since the last episode, we have one new patron to thank. So thank you so much, Ruben, for becoming a patron and supporting. And that's that. Tom, thank you so much for coming on again. Really appreciate you so, so much. Um, This was awesome. So thank you, Tom.
1: Thanks for having me on, Zach.
0: Have a good one, everyone, and God bless.